even though you're not an air traffic controller and it's not literally you have like hundreds of lives in your hand, you do have the lives of your team and yourself and your clients. Like these are real people. You're stuck in the middle. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. All right, welcome here. Welcome here, Jill. Hello, welcome to you as well. And welcome (laughs) to our listeners for the official first episode. I know I joked last time that that was episode number one, The Scaling Menace. But this is actually the official episode one, which is not called The Scaling Menace. Good. I am very glad. As much as I love Star Wars, just no. (laughs) Anyway, I'm really excited for this episode. And I kind of feel like I want to just go ahead and dive right into it because we've got so much good (laughs) stuff. I think this is probably going to end up having to be a double episode. It probably will. There, there's just a, a lot of interesting things that we're going to be talking about here. And, and the challenges that we're going to be talking about are things that so many entrepreneurs online face. So spoiler alert, you kind of like went where I was going next. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're going to be wanting to jump in like directly, I'm just going to go in and, and steal all the glory this time. All right. Well, let's just get right into it there, because really what we want to share with you today is the top challenges that we see online business owners facing as they go to scale. So, you know, we're going to be talking about what it, it ha- what it means when your offer isn't scalable. So you can't scale it without burning out or sacrificing results. We're going to talk about the challenge of being the product. So being the bottleneck in the business where things can't happen if you're not there to make sure they're happen. And then the third challenge, Jill. And then the last challenge is, you know, you're stuck in the day to day. You can't seem to get out of it. You're always putting out fires, those kinds of things that just kind of pull you down and make your life feel really heavy. Excuse me, miserable. It feels miserable. Miserable. It's the it's the holiday season right now. I'm trying to stay away from miserable as a thought. But, you know, (laughs) yes. All right. So that's what we're going to dive into. Let's go ahead and look at our first challenge. So the first problem, and this is. Maybe not the most obvious problem, but it's the biggest problem that gets people stuck. And the biggest challenge that people run into is they end up trying to scale an unscalable offer. So what does that look like? How how does someone know, Jill, if they're trying to scale an unscalable offer? The very first thing that came to mind for me was actually, what is scale? Because this is the thing with so much of the terminology in the industry right now is that it can be defined so many different ways. So what is scaling look like? For us, scaling is about leveling up your business so that you're able to take a step back from the day to day, pull yourself up the visionary pyramid, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, but essentially getting you a team and a business that you don't have to carry, you don't have to be doing all the things for. Yeah, I I think the classic definition of scale, it's essentially, can you generate more revenue and ideally profit, but can you get more without increasing the output by the same amount? So can you generate more revenue, like exponentially more revenue while having only linear expense growth? Where that leads a lot of people in the online business world is to this idea of, oh, you got to leverage, right? So the definition of scale in the online business world is kind of a messed up version of the tr- 
traditional definition, in the online business world, people usually think of scale, in my experience, as one of two things. So scale either means just doing a whole lot more marketing and selling. That's the number, that's definition number one of scale. And that's a fairly prevalent idea. Yeah. Oh, scale concept, your business like- to seven figures. And the way you're going to do that is by just getting more leads, right? I can't tell you how many different Facebook ads and podcast episodes that I've seen with that promise. Mm-hmm. So that's like the number one definition of scale I see. And then the number two definition of scale that I see is people saying, oh, in order to scale your business, you need to leverage it. What they mean by that is that you need to turn it into an evergreen product or you need to turn it into a course or something that doesn't require you to show up and it just does its magic. In the old days, we would have called that a passive income product. I was just about to say, yeah, moving towards that passive income idea. Which which I think fortunately the industry as a whole has moved on and said, okay, passive income isn't really a thing like we seem to have got past that point but this idea that scale equals having this business that runs without you i hear that a lot there's truth to that but this is what leads people to a place where they feel like their business is unscalable or their offer is unscalable because they look at what they're doing with their customers their clients and they're saying i can't fully remove me from this process or everything is going to fall apart. Yeah, exactly. And it's that piece right there that if I do, everything will fall apart. That starts to get that overwhelm really showing up in people's lives because it's a big stressor. If I go on vacation, then everything's going to fall apart. If I take a day off, then everything's going to fall apart. If I'm not the one doing the coaching calls, my clients don't get coached. There's all of these places where we feel or we imagine or we think that we can't remove ourselves from the process without all of these downsides. Therefore, my offer is unscalable. And that's where people start to go into this aspect of, then I just need to hire on an admin. Admin will take care of all of the things that you know I don't need to do so I can focus in on this. And sure, that might give you a little bit more room. But it's still not going to change anything because you still only have so many hours in a day. The other thing that I see is for the, the business owners who realize that they've got an offer that's not going to scale the way that the online marketers say it should be able to scale, right? Like they're not going to go and sell a course or frankly, they've gone and they've tried to create a course and they realized that it's a whole different market and it, they would. it's like starting a new business. Mm-hmm. It's just not as easy as they thought. It doesn't sell as well as they thought. But the challenge that I see so often is people recognize that they can't scale their offer. They can't scale their delivery. They can't continue to deliver the way they have been. Therefore, I need to change my offer Mm -hmm. and deliver and create something new so that I can scale that. Yeah. You know, I need to create a group program or a membership or a, or a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is that, again, when you are a newer business owner, that is often the right answer because you're trying to figure out what's going to gain traction in the market. You're trying to figure out the best way to solve the problem for clients. Like when you're in the experimentation phase of business, yeah, you're going to do a whole bunch of different things. If you found the thing that works, stop trying to make new things. You can't scale if you're constantly recreating the wheel. And, and then what happens is that 
these business owners, the, the people that we talk to, the people who become our clients, they say, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do all this stuff. And sometimes when we look at it, part of the reason they're so busy is because they're off trying to create all of these new things, right? Oh, I need to create my course. I need to record these videos. I need to do this training. I need to do this other thing. And what is the apparent problem of I have an unscalable offer is actually creating the unscalability itself. The reason that you think you can't scale is because you assume the solution is that you need to create something new. Whereas instead, if you were to actually focus on how do I scale the thing I've got, then you would actually make some headway. Yeah. And it's interesting to then turn around and contrast that with the individuals that go, I have to do everything bespoke. I have to do everything. It's always going to be different. I'm thinking of one client in particular that we were just working with in one of our cohorts that they help in doing some of the operations for membership businesses. And there's always something different. They're coming with a different problem. They're coming with a different this. And so I have to do something different every time. I have to recreate it every single time because they're always coming with a different problem. Every business is unique. And it's so fascinating for me because no matter what, anyone can say everything is unique. You can always look and you can always say that it's unique. And if you stick with trying to scale uniqueness, unique isn't scalable. But that doesn't mean that being able to be responsive to the individual client that's right in front of you isn't scalable. That's those are two different things. And that's the thing, right? Is they so often get smunched together is that responsiveness, that being able to facilitate the uniqueness Mm -hmm. is different than trying to scale through uniqueness. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting, whether it's this idea of scaling uniqueness or going off and creating new offers, ultimately what this leads to is a split focus, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where you start to feel like you're spread too thin. There are too many things taking your focus. You don't know what to focus on. There's just too many competing factors that are pulling you in all the different directions. Even like competing markets, because so often what you're doing, the new offers that you're creating, yes, it's probably a similar audience, but it's just different enough that you have to change your messaging again and all of those things. Yeah, we see that especially with folks who are going from high touch like one-on-one or agency service or or very small group programs to trying to switch to more of a DIY or a course or like a membership model, because whenever you go and create those things, it really isn't just your delivery that you're changing. It's your entire business. It's your value proposition. It's the way that you're connecting. And it's the type of people that are going to be attracted to that offer. But I want to take us back for a second to where we started this conversation, which is why people do these things. Why? It's completely understandable to me that you would see that you can't continue to scale the way you have been. So you're going to look for something new. And that's the problem of having an unscalable offer, which is the challenge that is faced by so many people. And I think it's really important to recognize that there aren't offers that are unscalable, but there are delivery models that are unscalable. Yeah, exactly. The distinction that we're making here is an offer is about the value proposition. It's about the core transformation. And we'll talk more about that in upcoming episodes that a client goes through. It's not about the how 
mm-hmm. of what you do. Yeah. So delivery is the deliverables of what mm-hmm. you do with a client, right? Like how many calls, how many, if you're a, a service provider, it's what are you actually developing? What are you actually building? If you're a coach, it's what is the trainings? What are the modules? What are the worksheets? All of those deliverables can be unscalable. And the key and what we really believe and have found to work is that it's not about changing the offer as in changing the entire delivery model, changing the entire thing and creating new programs and all of these kinds of things. Instead, it's about making the delivery model itself scalable by leveraging what you've already built, not rebuilding or reinventing the wheel. Exactly. And by leveraging what you've already built, it's not just about reusing the existing resources. There's actually an an aspect in there of trimming it down Mm because you've spent so much time inventing and reinventing. What was the analogy that we were just doing with some of our grads the other day, cooking more spaghetti just to throw it against a wall to see if it fits, right? Right. Right. How many piles of spaghetti do you have at this point? Do you actually need all of that? Yeah. I, I can't count the number of people that have worked with us who they say over time, we've built so many different versions of these tools or so many different iterations of the templates. And it's so much that again, because as creatives, when we see that there's a problem to be solved, we try automatically to find a creative solution, which means building something new or a new version. And as, as Jill is pointing out, what we end up with is a whole lot of stuff. And really the question that we need to ask is what is the actual result? And what is the simplest way that we can use what we are already doing? How can we optimize what we're already doing in order to be able to get that result? Because an optimized process is one that can be scaled. And I think that's the difference between an unscalable offer or an unscalable delivery method and one that is scalable at the root is that a scalable offer, a scalable delivery method is one that has a particular result in mind and you've stripped away everything that's not necessary in order to make the remaining pieces actually scalable. And so I hear in the background, I hear in the peanut gallery a voice coming forward and saying, but what about updating? What about changing? What about making adjustments? You're not saying you can't do any of that. This isn't going to be set in stone. A scalable offer isn't static. It's not an evergreen passive income style offer. No. And that's actually where people go wrong is -hmm. that they think that in order to make their offer scalable, they have to go and make it static. A scalable offer is not a static offer. A scalable is offer is actually one that's adaptive. So it's based on the principles you're using, but you've discovered ways to get that result for ever more people, more and more clients without needing to add time and effort at the same speed as you're gaining clients. And, and we're going to talk a lot more about that specifically in episodes four and five. We're going to be talking about the how you do this. But for right now, I just really want to make sure that we are addressing this problem, which is the challenge of trying to scale an unscalable offer. If you're trying to scale something, you feel like you've got an unscalable offer, 
you really first need to stop creating new things, stop cooking up new pots of spaghetti just to throw them against the wall, and instead focus on your existing method, your existing process, and looking at how can I turn that into something that can scale. Yeah, exactly. Stay tuned for more of the Visionary CEO Podcast right after this important message. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started. And now here's more of the Visionary CEO Podcast with Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. Once you've kind of addressed the first problem, which is that you've decided on a core offer, you've got your signature program or you've got your main uh, service that you're going to be offering, that then leads into the second challenge that people often face, which is you are the product. Yeah, it, this is a really interesting one to to go through with people because it, it is such a challenge and it is such a, a sorry, I'm going to use that really big encompassing coaching word mindset shift. Ugh. I know. <laughs> but it is a mental shift that you have to go through, right? This idea that if you aren't part of the delivery, if you're not there, if you're not the one doing the selling, if you're not the one doing the coaching, then there is no offer. There is nothing there that they're coming to buy you. And when, as soon as someone says they're buying me, what you're saying is you are the product. That's the literal example of they're buying access to me. They're buying access to my brain. They're buying access to my smarts. Mm -hmm. And I see it that way. The other way that I really see this manifest is with people who have developed their own methods. They developed their own IP. They've developed their own way of doing things. And what they say is no one else can do it like I can. And in fact, I even had a conversation with someone the other day and what they said to me was so fascinating. They said, I am still uncovering new layers and new nuances about how my method works. And if I'm still learning new things, how could I possibly hope to have another team member or to put it into a program or a training that would be nearly as good? Because I'm always improving and getting better. All of those things for me are ways that we end up saying, I am the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it gets reflected too in some of the conversations you might have with your clients. If this is coming out in how you're doing your messaging, you might actually end up getting clients. And we actually had this happen to us a few years back when we were making this transition where we were having the conversations and it was Brianne or I was doing the sales and it was the conversation of, am I getting the coaching with Brianne? And that whole piece there of Brienne is the one I'm coming for. I'm not coming for the method. I'm not coming for the framework. I'm not coming for what it is, the result that you actually do. I'm coming for Brienne. 
I want to just crawl inside your brain and be able to live there for a little while. I've actually had people say that to me, <laughs> inhabit your brain. And it's like, actually, it's crowded in there. There's not really room for people to inhabit the brain. Honestly, that sounds just a little creepy, just to it, be yeah. honest. Yeah. But okay, so that's what people might be thinking to themselves. But we haven't really talked about why it's a problem when you are the product. How does this get in the way of people who are trying to scale? There's only so much of you. Mm -hmm. right? There's only so much of you to go around. You have to sleep sometime. You have to eat sometime. You hopefully have to go and play sometime. If you're not, if you're working a hundred, however many hours, I don't know, how many hours are there in a week? I don't know. It doesn't matter. 164 hours in a week, if my memory is correct. If you're sleeping for eight of those a night, so that's 64. So if you're working a hundred hours a week, you're sleeping and you're working. That's just not healthy. Yeah. But that's the easy one to point at. The other piece is looking at it from this idea of if you bring on more clients, there's less of you to go around. I actually had a client tell me that she had a objection that she had to handle of this from one of her potential clients of you've got all of these people. How do I know that there's enough of like that you've got enough time to focus on me? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the sales objection that most people come up with when they're starting to think about delivering their offer in a way that isn't reliant on them, the objection that they always point to is they're not going to buy if I'm not the one they're, you know, they want to work with me. So they're only going to buy if they get to work with me. But the other objection is just as real and it happens just as often, which is you're busy. You've got a lot of clients. How do I know that I'm actually going to get the time and attention that I want? And that is ultimately where people stop scaling because they can't give the time and attention. You can promise all you want, but whether or not you actually are able to give that promise, if you're promising 10 one-on-ones, do you have enough of you to, to do 10 one-on-ones? I think about group programs right? So people who are doing coaching programs Mm. and we've actually seen service providers like lawyers and bookkeepers have really good effect from introducing some group elements into their work. So group is great, but there is a world of difference between being a client that is on a call with nine other people who are all in very similar situations to you, asking similar kinds of questions, throwing down similar ideas versus being one of a hundred people on a call where maybe only three or four or five people actually get their questions answered. And the chances that the question that those people are thinking about is actually a question that's relevant to where you are right now is negligible. And so a lot of providers look at this and say, yeah, so I can't handle more than 10 people at once and give them all personal time and attention. Therefore, this can't scale beyond that because I am the product. Yeah. In that similar vein, the idea of, or again, the objection from the visionary, the, the entrepreneur often can become, I need to protect the space that I'm creating. I need to protect the group so that they can have this opportunity. They can have the experience that I want to. And same thing, just slightly different take on it. Yeah. And I I think it's really important to acknowledge here that we're not saying that those beliefs are wrong or bad. In fact, we're saying that they're accurate. You do have a responsibility to protect the space. You do have a responsibility to be able to go deep with your clients. You do have a responsibility to be able to give personal time and attention. And that's why so many people run up against this problem of I am the business because the issue is that what happens in our brains is that we think 
if there needs to be one-on-one attention being given, number one, that needs to be throughout the entire experience. So it needs to be all one-on-one or it needs to be all small group or it needs to be like all done in this particular way, which isn't true. But the second misconception is that if you're doing a one-to-many or a one-to-one type situation, that you have to be the one doing the coaching call. You have to be the one doing the onboarding. You have to be the one managing the client relationship. The idea that you have to be the one in the one-to-many creates a lot of challenges because that thinking means, yeah, you are the product. You are the one. And it's interesting too, because that thinking leads into uh, a very subtle implication for a lot of people where they feel like if they aren't the one doing the work, doing the delivery, doing the results, that the offer is inherently less valuable Mm -hmm. than it would be otherwise. And that's exactly the conversation that I had the other day. So this person was saying, I am still evolving my methods. I am still improving them. A lot of what I'm doing is based on my intuition and based on my skills and my experience. I can't replace that. I can't turn that into a recording or I can't put that into someone else's brain. There's magic to what I do that I can't get any other way. And what I suggested to her was, What if it's not that we're trying to replace your magic? What if the solution isn't to strip all the magic out and go to a really systematized, really A, then B, then C structured way of doing and everything is laid out in black and white? What if that wasn't the goal? What if instead you said, hey, Part of the reason why I'm still discovering new things about how to make this better is because I'm seeing what's hitting with my clients and I'm seeing what's reflecting and with my clients. It's happening in those conversations. So what if it wasn't just me that was having those conversations with clients? What if I had someone else on my team who is having those same conversations with clients, they're bringing their own ideas, they're bringing their own intuition, they're bringing their own understanding into play. And now instead of me having conversations with five clients and making the method better, what if now I had five people having conversations with five clients each and they're all feeding back what they've learned and, oh, they explained it this way and it resonated. And, oh, I learned this about the process this way. You could actually take all of those collective brains and make your product that much better because you have blind spots and you have limitations in what you can see. And by bringing in other views, you could actually make your product stronger and the results better than if you are trying to be the product yourself. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that I want to explore a little bit here, though, is that the solution, we've been talking a lot about having other team members and other people delivering for you, but that's not always the solution. There's other ways of making it so you are not the product. And, and Jill, you have a really great analogy that you use a lot here, which is about how children are like representative of their parents, but eventually they grow their own identity as they grow up and they grow older and they become their own person. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, actually. I I pulled this analogy out during a a chat actually with a a potential partner 
a couple of years ago and, it, and we we were laughing because she was a, a new mom and we were laughing at how when you start out as a business you start out like the business is your baby you're carrying it around you're feeding it you're doing everything for it and at a certain revenue level it starts to become a toddler where they figure out how to stand up on their feet and we have to corral them a little bit more but we're still taking care of them a lot yeah and where it gets really interesting though is when we get into the preteen teenage years of this baby business and if we stick with the analogy, right, the preteen teenage years, they're going through puberty, they're starting to figure out their own emotions, hormones are kicking in, and they're starting to figure out who they are. They're starting to learn how to live in the world, how to be in the world, how to engage with other people, all of these things. And the same thing happens for your business, right? Your business starts to develop its own identity. Because if you don't allow for this to happen, both for children, human and for babies, as well as for your business, what you end up almost having this codependent relationship mm -hmm. where everything they're con continually relying on you. You're the one that's continually having to direct them and guide them through the day. -to -day. You end up with helicopter parents. Yeah. You end up with helicopter parents. And I think a lot of business owners, they're not used to thinking of this process of the business needs to step into its own and create its own identity and become its own thing in the world. And so the business owner goes and starts to helicopter parent yeah. where it's, we're going to dive in and we're going to solve all these problems and we're going to put out all the fires and we're going to do all the things. Yeah. Whereas if you're there as like the guiding light, you're essentially going to be able to instill your values, your view of the world into the business, into your teenager, right? You hope to into, into your teenager. Mm -hmm. That's there. That's you're setting up their outlook on life. And if you're able to be there and be supportive yet still let them gain their independence, then they're able to take the steps on their own and you can stand back and watch that happen and guide them when they stumble. Yeah. And so to put this out of the analogy and back into the business context, you talked about imputing values. And mm -hmm. so one of the things on a really practical level that we look at when we're looking at how can we remove you from being the product is we look at the steps that you go through in your delivery and we say, which of these steps are aligned with which of your values? Is there a reason that you're doing this part of the process that's based on your values? Is it just there because it's always the way you've done it? Is this the right way to be doing this so that you can set it up that even if you're not the one actively doing that piece of the puzzle anymore, that the values that you want to have expressed are still there. So that shows up through you're doing training videos, you're having team members doing coaching calls, you're moving from one-on-one -on -one to group or group back to one-on-one. -on -one. Any sort of customer service inquiries, responses, all of those kinds of things, right? Those are all embedded with, yes. or they should be embedded with your values and how you want to show up, how you want the business to show up in the world. And if you can consciously embed those elements into how you deliver your services or your products such that you end up with delivery, which is super high value to the business, meaning it's really profitable and it's aligned with your values and it's really self-reinforcing in terms of creating momentum and all of that kind of stuff. So it's super high value to the business. It's also super high value to the client in terms of it gets them results. It does it in a way that really isn't anything extraneous. There's no busy work. It's something that they feel like they're making progress with. If you can find the balance of both of those things, that is when you have 
successfully been able to remove yourself from being the product. That's not to say you can't do some of the work in the product that you can't be involved, but it means that there's the potential there that down the road, you could take yourself out. Yeah. And that's a really great distinction, actually, where it's no longer reliant on you. Instead, you can choose to still participate in the delivery, in doing the things. So in the end, this challenge that we've been talking about where you are the product actually ends up resolving itself by moving yourself out so that you're the product, the business, everything is no longer just reliant on you. Because when you're the product, it requires so much of you. Like there's only so much of you. You have to show up all the time, everywhere in the business, in the offer, doing the delivery, doing the marketing. And it ends up meaning that you and your business can either do one of two things. You stay small by intentionally keeping yourself limited on the number of clients that you have so that you can keep yourself from being overworked. Or you try to leverage things. And this is where you start getting back into that course creation and it just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't give you the high touch, high impact that you're looking for. And so in the end, what it comes down to is needing to own, needing, you needing your business actually to own its own identity, that it doesn't just have you bringing your magic all the time, that it's got elements of your values and how you see the world embedded in it. And then you can expand it and start looking at ways of having others bringing in others and bringing in their genius and their ideas to make it better. And that's actually where we're going to be going next with our next challenge. The Visionary CEO Podcast returns right after this. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started. With more of the Visionary CEO Podcast, here's Brianne and Jill. We've just been talking about being the product and kind of extricating yourself. There's a $10 word. I haven't used any $10 words yet. <laughs> or maybe I have, and you just haven't commented on it. I just haven't been commenting. There, there hasn't been many. I will fully admit there haven't been many. But All right. There's been a few. So you're going to get yourself out of being the product. And as Jill said, part of that is about embedding your values and your way of doing things into the business itself. But a lot of that has to do with the team you assemble. And there are so many metaphors that we could use to describe this third challenge that so many online business owners face as they're going to scale their business. I've heard it called being the air traffic controller. I've heard it called being the hub in the wheel, the hub and spoke. I've heard it like you're walking a team of dogs and all the dogs are going their own way and you're like trying to corral them and ooh, squirrel over there. And that one's my favorite. Yeah, you're just trying to like corral all of the people and all of the things and all of it. And even though 
you're not an air traffic controller and it's not literally you have like hundreds of lives in your hand. You do have the lives of your team and yourself and your clients. Like these are real people that you're engaging with. And so it can be so stressful when you try and build a team and scale and and do all of this stuff because you're stuck in the middle. The other one that we've talked about and we've used as an, less of an analogy and more just as an explanation is it's you and your genius and you're surrounded by order takers. Or helpers. Right? Or helpers. And you're having to direct them. Depending on whether or not you've played any real-time like strategy games where you have to direct all of the different units mm-hmm. around the board. It's really popular on cell phone games and that kind of thing. Right. There's so many different moving pieces that you have to try and keep track of. Mm-hmm. Like so much of that stress, so much of that weight sitting on you to make those decisions, making those plans, making all of those things happen. The example that I like to use is actually chess. And you've got all of the different pieces and they're trying to move around. But what so often happens for business owners is that they're stuck in the weeds. They're stuck in the day to day. It's like they are the king or the queen on the board and they're trying to figure out how to order the pawns to move and you're on the board. And so many people feel like I don't know how to get from being on the board to being up top and actually seeing this thing and guiding it and directing it. And the bigger problem is that all of the solutions that are supposed to help you get out of the day to day, the delegating, the building systems, the automations, none of those things actually solve the problem in the long term. No, they don't. And in fact, in a lot of ways, they compound it and and make it worse and make it more obvious. Because for so many of those things, like just thinking delegating as as an example, right? So many people hire on an administrator or an OBM or this or that, and they delegate a task to this person and the person ends up dropping the ball. They don't do what you are expecting them to do. And then it feels like you have to, and I'm using air quotes here, you have to step back in and take Mm -hmm. back over. Because otherwise, it's either not going to get done or it's not going to be up to the quality or the standards that you want it to be. It's, if there's a problem, you have to be the one to come up with the solution. If something goes wrong with the client, you're the one who jumps in there and puts out the fires. If there's a problem with a system, you're the one who has to contact the developer and say, hey, we need to fix this. It's like all of these problems, you are the firefighter. You are the yeah. one who has to take this, put out the fire, But not just put out the fire, like you have to find the hose and the water and cook everything together and then put out the fire. Meanwhile, you've turned your attention away from this thing that was happening over there. And now three new fires have popped up behind you. I I was in a a conversation with some very successful multi six, seven figure business owners, and they were talking about what's the thing that in theory should be delegatable that you can't seem to figure out how to delegate. And Oh, I can just imagine how this is going. What do you think the answer is? I know what they said. So I'm curious. What do you think they said the thing was that was undelegatable? Okay. Like proper high quality client support. Yeah. Uh, Marketing and sales. Yeah. I can't delegate how I'm going to sell. It has to be, has to be me on the call. Yeah. My inbox management. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people 
<laughs> have tried delegating those things. And then sometimes it works. Sometimes you find an amazing VA, they take care of the inbox and it's great, but there's challenges around that. Now the, the answer that came up most frequently was two versions of the same thing. The first was copywriting of emails in particular. So mm -hmm. I can have someone else write the email, but I still need to review it before it goes out to make sure that it's good. There's no broken links. The broken links are a big one. Everyone oh, yeah, gets so frustrated. Links. Like no one has the attention to detail that I do. And then related to that, the number two thing was sales pages. It mm -hmm. should in theory be possible to delegate out the writing of the sales page, but I still need to revise it. I still need to review it. I still need to make sure that it's up to date and accurate and all of those kind of things. And what I thought was fascinating about those answers was there were some people who also answered what you said, right? No one else can go on a podcast, right? Like I have to show up on the podcast, whether it's my own podcast or I'm being interviewed. Like I, no one else can do that. But what's interesting for me is that many of the things that you identified didn't come up in that thread because the question was, what do you think in theory should be delegatable that you haven't been able to figure out? And mm -hmm. so things like doing calls with clients, doing the actual coaching, coming up with new IP, coming up with marketing angles and marketing messages, those things didn't show up on that list. Not because people thought, oh, yeah, I know how to delegate that easily, because as the conversation evolved, we talked about what actually is undelegatable. And the answer that we came to was there's actually nothing that's undelegatable. There's nothing you can't get other people to do. Except for maybe the vision and culture for the business, unless you want to sell the business. I'm, I'm laughing because of the overuse of the word delegate. And I think that's what we need to talk about next, right? I'm using the word delegate here because that's the word that our listeners are used to thinking yeah. of. Because delegation is all about talking about the how, giving tasks to people. And whenever you give tasks to people, all you're doing is you're telling them how to do things. And that means that you're not empowering. This is my not quite $10 word, $9 word. Um, <laughs> you're not empowering them to be able to make the decisions on how to accomplish something. And so you're in, in essence telling them that they can't make those decisions, that they have to come back to you anytime that something new comes up to get the next how from you directly. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot more about that in our next episode. We're actually going to talk about the hard won lessons that we learned as we've been growing our business, as we've been figuring out how to communicate and how to make sure that stuff's <laughs> done the way we want it to be done and, and all that kind of stuff. There's so many stories. I'm not going to spoil it, but the idea that delegation doesn't work the way we think it should, it was definitely a hard one lesson that we'll talk about in our next episode. I think the thing for me, and, and this is what I always say, right? The word delegate is a verb. That means that someone has to do it. And so if you are delegating, you have to keep delegating. And as you said, Jill, the more you delegate, the more people, the more times you give details about how to do something, it trains the team member to say, oh, this is an exception. I don't know how to do this. I have a question because you've given them 90% of the instructions. They're not going to go and figure out the remaining 10% on their own. They're going to come back to you and say, hey, this came up. I don't know what to do about it. 
And it, it's not even that they don't know, it's that they don't feel like they're allowed to yes. know. They're not allowed to make that decision. They're not allowed to make that because if you've given them 90%, you've been so explicit yeah. about all these other things, then that means that they need explicit instructions on this 10%. And even yeah. if you have tried to give them a little bit more, depending on how you have reacted or acted in response to what they have brought forward to you independently can also reinforce that. Yeah. We had a whole conversation with our most recent cohort in Academy about reviewing mm-hmm. and how like reviewing client information, reviewing what the work was that other team members had done for clients, that sort of thing. That sort of thing. Exactly. And specifically more in the sense of team members reviewing team members work that was going to be delivered to a client. And if you come in and you review something and you say, okay, this isn't right. This isn't right here. Let me, I'm going to fix it. Or even I'm going to tell you how to fix it. Or I'm going to tell you how to fix it. You come in and again, you're implying and teaching them and training them that they can't trust their own knowledge base, that they have to lean on you for that. And so again, you come back to that act of delegating, that act of talking, that act of telling. And, and how much pressure does that put on you as the owner to be oh, able to give huge. good instructions, right? To be able to give good instructions, to be able to give all the detail. And this then leads us into the idea of SOPs and checklists and systems, which is the other way that people are taught to fix this. And I, I don't want to belabor this point because this is a whole nother rabbit hole that I think we could, we could go down and spend a lot of time oh, on. Easily. We, I mean, we, both, we both have soapboxes around <laughs> this one. But what kind of pressure does it put on you if you need to create the exact checklist process step-by-step so that there's no possible questions, there's no room for error? There's a reason that visionaries and creative types hate creating SOPs. Our Mm -hmm. brains don't work that way. Yeah. Our brains don't work that way. And so what do we do? We try and force ourselves to sit down and record all of these steps and all of these details and all of this. And we are experts. So we're going to forget things that we don't even think that we need to communicate. And then we wonder why it's not been done appropriately and why we have to go and put out the fire. Yeah. And then we turn around and go and say, okay, so I need to redo the list and we create a brand new list (laughs) and do it all over again, which feeds back into that other piece we were talking about before where you have so many different copies of everything all around. Jill, please save us from this. What is the answer? How do we not get stuck in this situation? It's really easy. And at the same time, it's going to sound really complicated. So bear with me. You transfer (laughs) the ownership, you transfer the responsibility to the team member. You transfer ownership of that responsibility. Okay. I've done that. That's what people are going to say. I've done that. I've given them ownership over X, Y, Z, and they're still not doing it. Try again. That answer doesn't work. (laughs) The answer does work. I'm devil's advocating here. Obviously, You are devil's advocating. Transferring ownership over the result is telling them what you want really clearly as the result to come out, what is the output that you want it to look like? Yeah. You don't care about the how. You let them decide how they get it. Like, Preferably, you are hiring people who are, if not experts in their field, their zone of genius encompasses what you've hired them to do. So what you need to then do is you need to be really explicit about what the result needs to be. So brand standards, right? Voice, those kinds of things are what you then need to talk them through. Yeah. So what most people do is when they give ownership, they say, I need you to build a Facebook campaign or an Instagram campaign that is going to encompass this and this. And that's the result. 
But that's not actually the result. That's not giving them ownership. That's telling them how to produce the result. Actually giving ownership looks like, okay, we need 50 leads for our high ticket service this quarter. And so far we've been generating 20 high ticket leads, which means there's a gap of 30. I'm giving you the responsibility and the ownership to figure out how to get those 30 more leads without losing the 20 that we're already getting. And that's what giving ownership looks like. I didn't tell them to go do Instagram. I didn't tell them to go do Pinterest. I didn't tell them to go and run Facebook ads. I didn't tell them how to get 30 more leads. I just said the what. The what you need to do is figure out how to get 30 more leads for our high ticket program. And I'm going to trust that if you need support on how to get there, you will figure out how to get that support, whether that's maybe you ask me questions, but more likely you're going to go do your research. You're going to go figure it out. You're going to develop your strategy. And so long as, I mean, with the result, you need to put some constraints on it, right? Like you can't just say, go and do it in whatever way. But the constraints are usually things like it has to be in alignment with our values. It has to be in alignment with this. You put the constraints on about the rules around what the result looks like but you don't specify the how and you let them come up with the how because again, as Jill said, they should be able to do that. That's why you hired them. Yeah, exactly. And it's so fascinating to see the transition that goes through because keep in mind, you shouldn't be hiring clones of yourself. Mm -hmm. If you are hiring clones of yourself, you are basically just multiplying the bottlenecks and the issues that you currently are having because nothing has changed. It's just more of you. And I'm not saying that more of you is a bad thing, but having different people with different zones of genius, different capabilities, different skills covers the gaps and they come and they bring in a new perspective. Okay. The topic of ownership is a big one. And I know folks are listening to this and they've got a million questions. So we will get there. And if you're connected with us on social media, you can go ahead and ask us your questions about giving ownership. And we'd be happy to weave those into our conversation about ownership when that happens. But ultimately, really what we want to do is plant the seed for you here to say that if you're stuck in the middle, you're stuck being the bottleneck, all these decisions are going from you despite hiring, despite building systems, every possible solution comes back to you putting out the fires. This is one of the biggest challenges, and this is our number three challenge that you have to figure out how to deal with if you want to scale. Because if you don't figure it out, you will continue to get bogged down in the weeds. You will continue to be stuck in the day to day. And your only options will be to work harder and burn out or to give up on scaling your business altogether. And we don't want that for you. We want you to be able to give ownership to your team, empower them, and really be able to grow your business as a collective unit rather than it all coming down to you and being on your shoulders. So those are three challenges. Those are three major challenges, probably the three biggest challenges that we see people facing as they're trying to scale, especially from the low to mid six figures. And they're trying to get from 200K, 400K up to 600, 800 or that million dollar mark or beyond. Would you agree with that, Jill? Those are kind of the big three. Yeah, those are the three that we see most commonly. They're challenges that can show up multiple times throughout the course of your business life. Yeah. You can solve one and then it'll pop up later. Yeah. And so these three are the ones that tend to show and reshow so frequently. Yeah. 
And I feel it's really valuable and, and kind of where I want to leave this off is by giving folks a litmus test to see if these challenges are the ones they're facing and if they you know, really should go back and maybe re-listen to the part of the episode where we talked about it. So the litmus test for are you facing problem number one, which is that you've got an unscalable offer that you're trying to scale is if I gave you 10 times as many clients as you have right now, and I gave you those clients tomorrow, would your business be able to handle it? Never mind 10. I think a lot of people would break with two times or three times. And that's what, as we go through the next few weeks, we're going to be breaking down the exact process for here is how you can increase your capacity for clients by two to three times within six weeks. We're going to do six episodes and it's going to be within six weeks. Here's how you can double or triple the number of clients you can take. If you feel like you can't double or triple or 10 times the number of clients you can take, you don't have a scalable offer. And I just want to say here, we're not talking about adding any resources to that. Right. Yeah. We want you to be able to double or triple your ability to deliver without having to hire, without having to bring on more team members and that sort of thing. And so for the second challenge, that's the, the you are the product challenge. The, the litmus test for that one is often if you can't take an unexpected break from the business, whether or not it's because of medical reasons, like came down with COVID. Please um, no. Please no. Please don't <laughs> come down with COVID. We actually had a client once that his dad randomly just showed up on his doorstep needing a place to stay. If you can't take a step back from your business, especially when it's unexpected, never mind when it's expected, then you have a problem with or you have a challenge as you are the product, you are the business. That means that there's no chance for you to take the time to take that step back, even sometimes even just to do the strategic work, never mind taking a step back from the business and taking a break. Sometimes there's even to a point where you can't step back and do the strategic work. You can't do the vision work that you want to do, the creative work that you want to do, because you're so involved in the doing of the things in the business just to keep it running day to day. I hear so often people say, I can't even do sales and marketing because I'm so busy with the clients I've got right now. Like I would love to be able to do more sales and marketing and I just can't. Feast or famine. That's a really great, another great litmus test for that one. Feast. If you're going through a feast or famine cycle where you can't do client delivery because you're so focused on sales and then you turn around and you're so focused on client delivery that you can't do sales. Yeah. That's another good one to, to look for there. Yeah. And so that's the second challenge is the, you are the product, you are the business. You can't take a random week off without having a whole bunch of prep to like line everything up. The best story I have for that is actually one of our clients who said, I went on vacation and I didn't even send the email to the clients telling them that I was going to be away because they didn't need to know. They wouldn't affect them at all. The fact that I was going away on vacation. So that's the counterpoint to where you want to get to. Yeah, exactly. And then for the third one, being stuck, being the air traffic controller, what do you have for that one, Brie? I think really it's, are you able to do the stuff you want to do day to day in the business without being constantly pulled in a million different directions, right? If you feel as though your to-do list gets longer as the day goes on instead of shorter, we were talking with someone yesterday who said she has her to-do list and then the next day she gets her to-do list again and it's the same to-do list as yesterday, just with 20 more things added. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. The other one too is if you feel like you're always putting out fires. Yeah. And you turn around and there's yet another two fires, never mind one. 
Yeah. And having to deal with that and having to constantly be on the lookout and almost be on the hunt for things going wrong. Yeah. So right? it's like the constantly putting out fires is reactivity. That's yes, what it that's is. That's a great way of putting it. Right. You're no years being stuck being the air traffic controller if you feel like you're always reacting to what's going on around you. And you're never able to actually step back and be the visionary CEO of your business. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be diving more into many of the topics that we talked about. We're going to talk about how you can get that product that isn't you being the product. And we're going to talk about how to build a team that doesn't have you be the air traffic controller. And we're going to talk about all those things. But before that, we actually want to tell you a little bit about how we encountered these challenges as we were scaling our business up and how we overcame that. Because what if we can save you the headaches of having to go through the learning curve that we went through, that's definitely something we want to do. Well, and to be honest, there's a couple of them that are actually rather funny when you look back on it. It didn't feel <laughs> funny at the moment, but when you look back on it, they're pretty good laughs. So that's coming up for you in episode number two. Cannot wait to have you join us for another episode of the Visionary CEO Podcast. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi Radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Oh, 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 o